Welcome to Journey Church Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Here at Journey, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So whether you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend's worship experience. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. We hope you enjoy the message. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is so good. He is great. I don't know why we say he's good, right? We say it because that's what you do in church. You say it, but the reality is he's awesome. He's amazing, indescribable, beautiful Jesus. Amen. Amen. Are you guys enjoying this series, Decisions, Decisions, Decisions? Has anybody had to make some tough decisions this week? When I think you're going to have a bunch of tough decisions to make. And uh, I'm believing that by the end of this sermon series, uh, you're going to know exactly what you need to do, exactly where you need to go, exactly who you need to keep as a part of your life, and exactly who you need to eliminate as part of your life. I believe God is going to give you the answer. I'm going to talk to you today not about what God wants you to do per, per se, and I want you to come back next week, and I want you to bring a friend, because next week we're going to get really into the nitty-gritty of decision-making, and week four is going to be awesome too, but today is going to be a talk on not what is it that God is telling you to do, but more so, what will you do with what God tells you to do? That's a different question. I want you to play a really dumb game with me. I want you to imagine, and I say dumb because I already know what your answer is going to be, but I want you to imagine, imagine with me that you knew, again, this is dumb, and it's a little uh, morbid, but uh, imagine with me that you knew the exact time and place of your death. Great way to open up a message. Are you saying I'm going to die? No. Um, but I want you to imagine that, that you knew the exact time and place you would, you would pass and and, and in knowing that, you could avoid it just by not being in that time and place. Like, imagine if there was a piano in the ceiling. And, and, and at exactly 11.06, that piano was going to fall from this point right here on the stage. And I asked, and I told you that. And I knew it. And then I asked you, would you like to stand at this point on the stage at exactly 11.05? I don't know that there is a person in this room who would say yes to that. I mean, I, I guess it depends on what kind of week you had. But I don't, I don't believe that there's anybody in this room who would say yes. I, I would be just, I, I've been wanting to see what heaven was like. And, and I, you know, just, we're not, we wouldn't do that. And, and I know it's silly. I know it's dumb. And I, I know it's maybe not even worth mentioning. But I had to give you that image because that image was the best picture I could think of to paint for what Jesus is about to do in this passage that we are going to read. Okay, it's that image, that piano falling, him knowing exactly where it would be, and him standing right there when it fell. I need you to watch this, and uh, it's in the book of Luke, chapter 22, verse 39 through 47. The verses will be on the screen, so if you don't have time to get there, or if you don't know where it is, that's okay. Uh, we can read it with me. And this is what it says. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, 
pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Verse 45. And when he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep. Tap your neighbor's tell wake up. Exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And while he was still speaking, a crowd came up. And the man who was called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. I think what gets lost in the amazing story of the passion, and when we say the passion, what we mean is the last couple days right before Jesus went to the cross. I think the most amazing part of that story that consistently gets lost in its retelling is the simple fact, catch this, that Jesus didn't have to do it. He did not have to do it. He did not have to show up. The crucifixion was not a surprise for Jesus. Did you know that? It didn't come for him, and he was like, oh, snap. I did not know. What? You're taking me where? Uh-uh. You know, he didn't, he, he knew who was going to betray him the night before. He looks at the guy who's going to turn him in, and he says, hey, man, do what you came to do. And then the night of the betrayal, he, he goes to the place where he knows the betrayal is going to happen, and he doesn't just get there. Please catch this. He gets there early. Early for the thing that's going to kill him. He gets there early. We don't even show up early for the things that we like. We don't show up early for movies. We get there right by the end of the last preview. We don't show up early for weddings. We don't show up early for church. Hello. I'm just saying, it gets real discouraging after the first song when I look back and there's like nine people here. Help me out. Keep me in the ministry for a long time by showing up at 1030. I'm going to start giving away prizes after the first song. I'm telling you, tickets and stuff. The only people who show up. Uh, we don't even, we have a trouble showing up to the things that we like to do. He went and to the places he showed up early, early enough that he could pray three times. And, and, and in that moment, I want you to know, he wins. Like, like I said that a little earlier, hell is shut down. Heaven is open. The world is redeemed. But what happens in that garden and what's about to happen in that cross, Jesus wins. And here's the part I need you to catch. The greatest victory ever won, the greatest battle ever fought, listen to me, was won by not fighting. Did you catch that? The greatest battle ever fought was won by not fighting. And I think what Jesus was trying to exemplify to us in the garden is that there are some victories that can only be had through surrender. And if you need some context to really understand that, um, just talk to somebody who is married. All the married people say amen. Married people, you will know you do not want to fight with your wife by fighting it. Getting real quiet because some of y'all are in that fight right now. You do not win a fight with your spouse by fight. There are some fights you only win with the person you love by just surrendering. I'm telling you, my wife and I, we had a, for a while there, we would always bump heads with our 
our day off. We have one day off a week. It's Monday. It's our family day. And, uh, and, and the thing is, I'm always out. She's always home. She's a stay-at-home mom. She has a homeschool thing and all that, which is great. But because, she's, because her job is home and my job is out, on the day off, I want to be home. But home is her job. And so she wants to be out. And so we'll get into fights. And she's like, we should go out. And I'm like, but I feel like I'm tired. I want to go home. And she's like, well, well we, went, we went out last week. And I'm like, so? <laughs> but she's like, wait, we stayed home this week. Let's stay home. And, and eventually we learned, listen, one of us is going to have to surrender in order for this marriage to win. One of us has have to give up. And, and, and in every aspect, surrendering to your husband or wife is good, <clears throat> especially if they're better than you at something. Which is usually the case in marriage. God has a, a way of putting together people who, who, who don't share the same strengths or share different strengths. Like, for example... My wife is amazing when it comes to uh, fashion, things of fashion. My kids are like little models, little gap, baby gap people. They always dress to the nines and, um, and just, just dress well. And people don't know this about me. I, some of you guys come up to me after the worship experience and you're like, hey, I just want to say, I think I really like the way you dress. Like you dress really cool. And I, with no shame, I'm like, she picked out my clothes. You need to know this about my wife and my marriage. I do not pick out my clothes. I mean, she picked out, I iron them, but I, and I, and sometimes she'll let me try my own, and I'll come out, and I'll be like, babe, what do you think? And she's like, I like that. <laughs> so, you know, and then vice versa. She, so I won't argue with her on that because I know it's her strength. For, for her, it would be um, uh, wording things. My wife is a businesswoman, and so when she says things, she says things to the point. Like, there's no, you know, words before it. To make you feel better about what she's about to say. She just says what she's about to say. So just like I don't leave the house until I show her what I'm wearing, she won't send the text message until she shows it to me. She's like, is it okay? Like, are we going to feel loved when I said this? Or are they just going to be upset? Or, and I'm like, no, you know what? Maybe you should say uh, uh, you're awesome, dot, 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 but. Maybe you should add that in there. <laughs> just that one little thing so she can, you know. And, and let me just tell you, I think, and this is why I say this, because I think, Marriage is a great example of sometimes the best decision you can make is to let someone else make the decision. Sometimes the best decision you can make is to let someone else uh, make the decision. And that's important, and that's hard. That takes, that takes guts, that takes humility, that takes faith, that takes trust. But that's important because this whole sermon series, we're talking about, what does God want me to do? I have some, some decisions I need to make, and I feel like God, he knows what's the best. And so I, if he could just show me, um, I would do it. If he could just show me what, what he wants me to do, then that would be great. But my question to you is this. If you knew it, would you do it? Which so happens to be the title of today's message. If you knew it, like if God came down from heaven, he was like, this is what I want you to do. Break up with him. Would you be like, mm-hmm, come again? I'm sorry. Say that one more time. Okay, okay. This is what I need you to do. I need you to fine, quit your job and, and work at that other place because your coworkers here are kind of bringing you down. I'm sorry, my job, the one that pays the bills. I thought I didn't catch that. Uh, Lord. And so, and so, hey, you know, we're always occupied with the question, what is God's will for my life? But I think there's a more important question, which is, if you knew it, would you do it? If you knew it, would you do it? If God laid it out for you and he told you the steps and he told you what would happen, would you do it? Now, I need to just take a pause here because uh, some people think that God only wants me to do hard things. And, and, and I, and I want to just bust that myth right now. And I know it's a myth because I, someone came up to me when we first started the church, and they said, I love your church. I said, that's awesome. They said, and I would love to go to your church. I said, well, why don't you? 
she said, because I love it so much. I said, come again? She said, yeah, and you know how God works. He never gives you what you want. So because I love it, that must mean he don't want me to do it. I'm like, who taught you about God? Could you imagine how that proposal would have went with my wife if I would have subscribed to that theology? You are the most beautiful woman in the entire world. You're awesome. Your passion for God inspires me. The way you, you, you laugh, it makes me laugh. Your jokes are hilarious. You're amazing. And that's why we can't be together. You're too good for me. You're too perfect. No, God wants me to, like, find a homeless person on the street and put a ring on it. Like, that's what he wants me to do because that's what God is. He always puts you through trials. And, and, they, and, and no, that is not the case. I want you to know that very often there are times in life where God will give you the desires of your heart. That's what the Bible says in Psalms. Just because something's hard or difficult doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to have it. Now i got to add the caveat in there. There will be times when he will ask you to do tough things. But you need to know the reason, okay? The reason he's asking you to do tough things is not because he's mean and it's not because he's cruel. It's because how do I make J.J. smile is just one of the questions that he has to answer when he's putting together the plan for your life. How do I make Gabe smile? How do I make Caitlin smile? How do I make Diane smile? It's just one of the questions that he answers when he's putting together the plan of your life. But you know what the other questions are? How do I make Gabe strong? How do I make Diane wise? How do I build Christians' faith? How do I, how do I, how do I increase in, in David's heart a love for people? God takes it all into consideration. And here's what you need to know about God. God wants the best for you, not what's most convenient for you. He wants the best for you. And if it sounds like that should be the same thing, it's not. It's not. You would think, well, well isn't the best for me naturally what's most convenient for me? Not always. You know, I went to the doctor's office this a uh, couple months ago, and the doctor came up to me, and, and we did the blood test thing, and I went in for my results, and and she said, I have some bad news. I was like, what? She was like, you have borderline high cholesterol. And, and she gave me a list of things that I could no longer eat if I wanted to lower my cholesterol. Has anybody ever been told by the doctor you have borderline high cholesterol? How much does that list suck? It's like no butter which I was okay with. I don't put butter on a lot of things. It's like no fried food. I'm like, well, I don't really do fried food anyway. And, but then there was one thing on the list. I was, like, I was like, Doc, I have to have a conversation about that one thing on the list. And it was God's gift to humanity. Cheese. Doctor said, you can't have cheese. Cheese is very high in cholesterol, and uh, that's not convenient for me, because um, I put cheese on everything, okay, if I can, I put cheese on my cereal, no, I'm just kidding, <laughs> just shredded, no, uh, <laughs> that would be weird, that wasn't convenient for me, but, but the doctor's priority is not my convenience, the doctor's priority is not my taste buds, it's my life. And God works in the same way. Now, I want you to walk, I want to walk you through my response to the doctor's uh, proscription for, for, for my life. Because my response to her, I think, is our response when God asks us to surrender. Okay? And it's very similar. All right? And so here was the first thing that I told the doctor. This is, this is really, I did say this to her. 
and she told me this. I said, when she told me I had high cholesterol and that I needed to go on this crazy diet, I was like, really? No. No way. Me? I work out five days a week. I don't eat fried food. Like, I exercise. Like, I don't live on the couch. Like, are you sure you have the right person? Like, did my blood get mixed up with somebody else's blood? Because I'm pretty sure I'm in a good condition. I was, listen, what I was, I was tempted to do, which what we're tempted to do when God asks us to do the tough thing, to surrender. We're tempted to, there's, there's a, a sense of disbelief, and then we're followed by a temptation to dismiss the thing that he told us. Because it can't be. No way. Uh-uh. You want me to do what? See, if you're new to Christianity or if you're just getting, you know, interested in what this thing means to follow Christ, you maybe have never experienced this. But if you are here and you have followed Christ for any length of time, raise your hand if you have ever, if God ever told you to do something that you were like, are you sure you have the right person? Come on. Those people who have been Christians for a long time, you know, like, I don't think you met, I think you met him. I think you met her. I'm JJ, maybe you met RJ, PJ, TJ, AJ, there's a lot of J's, are you sure you met JJ? Because I don't know that you got the right person, and, and, and I can attest to that, okay? Uh, I remember the very first time uh, I, I, was, uh, I went out into the streets to tell people about Jesus, like I was a part of a group, and this group is something that we did, and I went out, and we went to the uh, baseball field, and it was in South Carolina, now I have to say that. Because we were in the country of South Carolina. There's no Disney World. There's not even clubs. Like, they don't even have clubs in the country of South Carolina. What you do if you're just trying to have fun, you go to a baseball field, you watch grown men play salt, and you get lit. You just get drunk. Like, you just, you, just, you just get drunk, and you just watch the game go on. That is, like, the thing to do in Sumter, South Carolina. You won't even be able to find it on GPS. That's where I lived for two years. And we went there to this baseball game. And I'm walking around, and if you've ever been a part of one of those teams to go out and tell people about Jesus, you know that, like, you walk around for, like, an hour before you say anything. You're just trying to build up the courage. It's like, I love Jesus, but this is weird. You know, like, and I don't know how to start. And, and, so I, and so eventually I prayed a prayer. It was a bad prayer. I said, God, just show me. Just show me who you want me to talk to. If, you, if, if I know it, I'll do it. Just show me, Lord. And this is what the Lord showed me. I, I'm, I'm walking in there, and I turn a corner. And in the corner, there is this gentleman. I'm going to just call him a gentleman. He had to be no shorter than six foot six. I looked around the softball field. He was the biggest, most meanest looking dude. I am five, eight and a half. At the time, running a buck 30, light-skinned fellow. And this man is six foot seven, got muscles coming out the show, and he's got a 40 in his hand wrapped in cardboard. Cardboard, not cardboard. That'd be weird. Cardboard paper, um, paper bag. There you go. Uh, and he's just looking. And I felt the Lord say, that one. And I'm like, but there's like a 14-year-old little white girl over there in the corner, Jesus. And send me to her, Lord. Send, send me to her. The Lord was like. That one. And so I go, and, uh, and, I, and I look, I say, excuse me. <clears throat> <clears throat> sir, <clears throat> sir, uh, sir, I'd like to tell you about this man named Jesus, sir. Uh, we had a whole formula, you know. I go through the formula, and I tell this guy about Jesus. And at the end, I ask him, I say, hey, I know this is crazy. I know I'm taking a lot of your time. But if what I'm saying is resonating with you, 
would you like to pray with me right now to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? The guy looks back at me, and you know he's drunk. You know he's drunk because you know there's a moment where you're so just the alcohol glasses your eyes. Have you ever seen somebody so drunk that there's just a shine on their eyes, very yellow eyes as well, which means he was probably doing some drugs before then. He says, yeah. Put my hand on his shoulder. We pray. When I finish praying for the man, I look. There's tears coming down his eyes, and God be my witness, if I'm exaggerating in a bit, the yellow glassy eyes were as white as snow, as clear as day when he opened up his eyes. God had the stuttering in his speech. The stuttering in his speech was, was gone. The stuttering in his speech was gone. There was a clarity, a clearness to his, to his talk with me. He said, man, what church do you go to? I want to be a part. I want to go to that church. We picked him up the next Sunday and brought him to church. He came to church, got involved. Here's what I want you to know. I know what, I just want you to know, I know that what God's asking you to do is hard, but if you're taking notes, write this down. You have no idea what's on the other side of your surrender. You have no idea what's on the other side of your surrender. God is asking you for something, but it might be just because he's wanting to do something. When God asks you to do something big, it's because he wants to do something big through you and in you. Always, always and always. He did it with David. Okay, he asked David, he, had, he asked this guy in the Bible who was a 14-year-old scrawny little shepherd boy, a farmer, to, to fight a nine-foot-something giant soldier. He said yes, and he knocked down the giant. He had no idea what would be on the other side of his surrender, but it was a victory. He, one time, God, God finds, turn your Bible, to, well, don't turn there, but if you were to read the Bible, the book of Exodus, you'll hear the story of a man named Moses, an 80-year-old fugitive of the law. God says, I want you to say yes to me. I want you to deliver a million people out of slavery. And, and a couple chapters later, just a couple pages later, Moses finds himself in front of a sea, a sea split in half. The laws of physics are being denied. He's walking through the sea. He sees fish swimming in the water. And I think Moses had to tell himself, I had no idea that when I said yes, I was going to be sick. You have no idea what's on the other side of your surrender. God went up to this other person in the New Testament named Peter. Peter was a fisherman, a fisherman. Do you know what fishermen were? Fishermen were men who couldn't cut it out in the religious field. In other words, in today's, you know, kind of context, you could say that he was a high school dropout, not very smart. In fact, he writes books in the Bible, and the way theologians know that Peter wrote it is because they're spelling and grammar mistakes. That's how they know it was him. They're like, yeah, he spelled that wrong. That's Peter. Let's give it to Peter. Let's call that book the book of Peter. We know he wasn't a bright fellow. This book of Peter. Yeah. Didn't do it. That's how Peter was. Jesus went to that guy and said, hey, I want you to leave your job. The Bible says he threw down his net. He threw down his net. That means he left his career to go plant a church. And I got to imagine when Peter, a couple chapters later in the book of Acts, is standing in front of 3,000 people and he's preaching them about Jesus. And the power of God is falling on them and they're start beginning to speak another language. The Bible says his shadow is healing people. I got to imagine that Peter was standing in front of those people saying, when he told me to leave my boat, I had no idea. It was going to lead to this. You have no idea what is on the other side of your surrender. If you say yes, my goodness, the things 
that God will do in your life. And it happens, and it's true. You talk to people who have said yes to God, and you ask them, how did I get here? How did you get here? I read all the interviews. When I became a pastor, I was like, I want to read all the interviews of all the great pastors who have done great things. I want to know how they did it. And every single pastor whose interview I read, hey, man, how did you get here? Every single pastor starts off like this. I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? All I did, say yes. He he took me. All I did was say yes. He opened the doors. He blew it. He grew it. He brought people in here. I can't wait to 2018, this time next year, when they start coming in here with camera crews because Winter Park has absolutely changed. And they start meeting with you guys. Hey, were you here in the beginning? Yeah, I was here. Matter of fact, there was one message he preached about God doing crazy things. And after that sermon, we all decided we were going to get involved in the church and take this thing to another level. So how did God do it? I don't know. We just decided as a church that we would say yes. Yes to serving people, yes to loving those who are unlovable, yes to living on the margins of society and grabbing all those that nobody else wants, giving them a home called Journey Church. We just said yes, and here we are, people sitting in the balcony because somebody said yes. And what I love about the men that I just mentioned in this Bible, the people that I just mentioned, they said yes without even knowing what the reward would be. They didn't surrender to fame. God wasn't like, I want to make you famous. And they're like, yes. They didn't say, they didn't say hey, I, I, want, I want to start a church. It's going to be awesome. And millions of people are going to get saved. Yes. They didn't say, hey, I want you to start a business, and it's going to be a multi-billion dollar business in five years. I would say yes to that for sure. What I think is so powerful about their story is they, they said yes at an inconvenient time with no certainty of the outcome. What did David say yes to after all? God didn't tell David, you're going to fight a giant. And you're going to kill him and you're going to be a king. He didn't tell him that. You read the story. You know what he was doing? He was, he was watching sheep and his dad came over and said, hey, you got five brothers. They hate you. Which is true. They hate you. They hated him. David was like the run of the family. They didn't even like him. And he goes, hey, you got five brothers. They hate you and they need some bread. So I want you to stop what you're doing and I want you to go feed the people who hate you. It would have been really easy for David to say, I'm sorry. That's not really convenient for me. A, they don't like me. And B, I'm busy. Bad, bad, bad. I'm busy. Can't you see the sheep here? I'm busy. You guys didn't give me no attention. You guys didn't love me. So you know what? I'm going to say no. But he said yes when it was inconvenient and without any certainty of promise. See, the thing you say yes to is not going to be the thing that you get after you say yes. You know what I'm saying? You're not saying yes to the outcome. You're saying yes to the call. And when you say yes to the call, then you get the outcome. But you're going to have to have the faith to say yes to the call before you know what the outcome will be. How about Moses? When God called Moses, he was an 80-year-old fugitive. He had been running away from the law. The guy who was out to get him finally dies. The pressure is off. He starts a family. He meets this woman named Zipporah. They have a kid named Gershom. It's a beautiful setup. Um, the, her dad owns a business. He's about to pass the business off to Moses. It's a great time. Moses is at this peak, making the most money he's ever made in his life. And that moment, at that moment, God says, great, you finally got everything you want. Now, are you ready? I want you to leave it all. Leave it all. And go deliver a million people out of slavery. That was not convenient. Moses didn't say yes to being the author of the first five books of the Bible. He had no idea that would come. He just said yes at the most inconvenient time. Peter, when Peter said yes, that was inconvenient. And he actually, he actually almost got into a fight with God, with Jesus. Because Jesus says, Peter, I'm going to die. And then I'm going to come back to life. And Peter says, that's not convenient. In the Bible, Peter looks at Jesus and he says, I hope you never die. 
which sounds like a good thing. But Peter looks, Jesus looks back at Peter, and he said, Isn't that, I mean, if you told your dad, I hope you never die, wouldn't you expect like a pat on the back? You know, I hope you never die, dad. I love you too, son. Like, you know, hey, you're my best friend. I hope you never die. Jesus looks at Peter. He says, get behind me, devil. Get behind me, devil. Peter's like, what did I say? And Jesus is like, and this is what he says in the Bible. Literally, he says, you're thinking about what's most convenient for you, but not what's best for you. It would be convenient to have me for as long as you live, but if I don't die, you'll lose me when you die. But if you give me up while you're alive, then when you die, you'll have me forever. It might not be convenient for you, Peter, for me to go right now, but it's what's best. What is God asking you to do right now in your life that is not convenient, but you know and I know it's what's best? Because I believe there are people who are going to get to this point this month where God's decision for your life is super clear. But you're going to be at a point of indecision, not because you don't know what it is, but because what he's asking you to do is tough. Will you do it when you know it? you got to be willing to do it. And so, and so that, that's, that's our first response. We tend to dismiss. We tend to, no, that can't be. Uh-uh, it's not convenient. I'm not going to do it. Here's the second response, and it's what I did with the cheese thing, okay? After she, after she told me about the cheese, I was like, all right, whatever. I didn't want to argue with her. She's a doctor. I went home, and you know what I did? Got on Google. Google is like everything. Some of y'all are going to do with God what I did with cheese on Google. I'm going to preach this message, and you're going to go home, you're going to Google and be like, the Bible can't say what JJ just said it said. And I was going on there, and I was like, cheese, cheese can't be that bad. And I started Googling, and I said, what about 2% cheese? And I said, what about 1% cheese? And then I said, what about low-fat cheese? I said, what about fat-free cheese? All cheese has cholesterol. And here's the second thing that we try to do when God asks us to surrender. The first is dismiss. The second is negotiate. God asks us to do something, and we're like, well, what about 2% obedience or 1% obedience? Is there any, do you have any fat-free obedience in that fridge? Do you have any fat-free obedience? <laughs> and here's the thing that we negotiate on the most. And by the way, God doesn't call it negotiating. He calls it compromising. And here's the thing that we compromise the most with on God, our timing. I'll do it, but I won't do it now. I'll forgive that person, but not right now. I'll, I'll go. I'll leave my job, but after I get my benefits. I'll do it, but I, but I won't do it now. I'll negotiate God. I will, I will start that ministry. I will join that dream team. You know, I know they've been doing next steps for a while, and I've been here four months, and they've been asking me to get involved in the church. And I'll do it. I'll do it. Just not right now. Give me like 2%, and I'll do the rest. And I, and I feel like there's consequences to compromising. You just read the story of Abraham and Hagar in the Bible. I'll give you the quick background. There's this guy named Abraham. He's 100 years old. God says, you're going to have a baby with your wife named Sarah. Well, that was hard to believe because Abraham was 100. His stuff was kind of already not working. His wife Sarah, his wife Sarah was already over 80. Her stuff was done working for sure. And so when they hear what God tells them, Abraham and Sarah say, well, listen, he can't possibly mean this because this is impossible. Take my younger maidservant named Hagar. Take her. Have a baby with her because maybe that's what God said. And I hear the compromise. He said we were going to have a baby, but you know what? Let's try and have a baby this way. Abraham, being the good husband that he was, surrendered. <laughs> I heard a sermon on surrender. I'm going to, whatever you say, Sarah, I'll, I'll take the bullet. I mean, I'm not going to like it. I just want you to know I'm not going to like it, but I'll surrender. 
And Abraham paid the price. That baby ended up being such a thorn in the, in, in the, in the history of his lineage. All because he would not. One of the greatest things you can ever see in life is, is your timing. My pastor once told me, he said, the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. And I think sometimes God is asking us to do something now. We need to do it now. Or he's asking us not to do it now. When you can't, don't do it now. When I tell my kids to clean up their toys, I don't mean to do it an hour from now. I mean, pick them up now. Justice's birthday is today. We got little chocolate men for him. He was trying to eat it this morning. I said, don't eat it this morning. Eat it later. If you eat it now, you're going to get in trouble. That timing is so important. We can't compromise. But again, I understand. I know it's difficult. We've been compromising our whole life. We've been surrendering our whole life. Eventually, there has to come to a point when I get to do my way right. How many people can relate with that? I mean, you're hearing this message and you're saying, hey, surrendering, that's cool. But I've been surrendering for a long time. I've been surrendering for a while, and I'm tired of that. You know, I think, I'll give another example for surrender. I think God is asking you to surrender whatever unforgiveness you have for someone you love. He's saying, lay that down. And I want to use that as an example because, you know, when you forgive someone, you don't just forgive them once. You know, when you forgive someone, you have to forgive them daily. Like, when your husband or wife does something that hurts you, or you have a friend that hurts you, or a mentor that hurts you, you can't just say one time, hey, I forgive you, and it's over. Because tomorrow you wake up, and there's some hurt still there. You got to be able to get up and surrender that hurt again. Here's what I want you to know about surrender. Surrender is not a one-time thing. Surrender is a daily thing. But it's good for us. Surrender daily, over and over and over. And I want to encourage you. I want to give you the key to being able to surrender daily. First, I want to sympathize, okay? I know that it sucks. It hurts. In your mind, you're thinking, again? I did it last week. I did it last month. I'm always the one who says sorry. How come they never say sorry? I'm always one to give up that parking spot. How come I can't get that parking spot? I'm always the one to eat last in line. When will I get to eat first in line? I'm always the one who doesn't fight for the promotion. Why will I get the promotion? I'm always the one who has to be quiet. Why do I always I'm the one that has to be quiet? I just want you to know Jesus knows how you feel. Jesus knows how you feel. He relates to you and he understands you and he gets it. Can I read to you the story of Jesus' last day? I mean, before he goes to the cross, that is. And I want you to look at this story from the first time from Jesus' perspective. And I want you to see how many times he had to surrender and how many opportunities he gave up to fight back. Because we miss it. We read it because in a page, it happens and we skip it. But the first thing that happens is Judas comes up to him, kisses him and says, Rabbi. And then the soldiers grab him. Jesus says this, Matthew 26, 15. Do what you came for. Can you hear the surrender in his voice? Do what you came for. I would not have responded the same way. Rabbi, I'd have been like, you son of a goat. You're going to betray me with a kiss? You just, that would have been my opportunity. But not Jesus. He surrenders. But doesn't end there. The moment he surrenders himself to the guards, Peter comes out. Crazy Peter. He brings out a sword, and he says, never. Gets all brave heart on him. Ah, and he chops off one of the soldier's ears. If you're Jesus, that's your shot. That's your opportunity. You don't have to surrender anymore. Somebody fought it for you. That's like the perfect out. Like if I'm Jesus, I'm like, God, you saw that. That was not my fault. That was all him. This whole thing breaks down right now. Yeah, I did not do it. I'm just going to exit stage left. I didn't hit nobody. That was all Peter. I'm home free. That's my way out. Look what Jesus says after he hits, after Peter hits him in the ear. 
Matthew chapter 26, verse 52 through 54. Jesus said to Peter, do you think I can't call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions? There's, there's 6,000 angels in a legion, so 72,000 angels is what he was saying. Some people are like weird stuff like that, so I just got to tell you. 72,000 angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled? That only makes sense if you were here last week, because last week we said that God's word is his direction for your life. And so Jesus is saying, I could run away now, or I could stop this right now, but if I do it, I'm going against God's direction for my life. And I want to go in God's direction for my life. The scriptures must be fulfilled. It must happen this way. Not my way, this way. Next one. He stands before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin are like the religious court. In their hands, they can either bring Jesus to the next step or not. And if Jesus has a good case, then he's free. They argue with him. They argue with him. They argue with him. They bring false claims against Jesus. And look at what Jesus' answer is in Matthew 26, 63. But Jesus kept silent. Again, come on, do you feel like your whole life is just like, I'm always giving in. I'm, I'm always giving in. I'm always giving in. Jesus, look what you're going through. And then he gets before Pilate. The last one, and we'll close. It's for Pilate. He goes, Pilate now is the governor. Only the governor was allowed to sentence people to death because Jerusalem at the time was under Roman control, and you couldn't sentence someone to death without Roman approval. And so Pilate is the governor of this area in Palestine. He's the only one that can sentence people to death. The Sanhedrin brings him to the governor. Here's all the accusations. Here's Jesus' response. Matthew 26, 14. Surrender again. But Jesus made no reply not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Surrender again. But Pilate wasn't going to have it. Listen to this, John 19, 10, 11. Pilate said, you won't talk to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to pardon you and the authority to crucify you? Verse 11, this is going to be the thing that you leave home with. This is going to be the thing that helps you this week when you have to give up. So I don't want you to miss this. Look at Jesus' response. Jesus said, you haven't a shred of authority over me except what has been given to you from heaven. What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you this. Jesus is saying to Pilate, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. You think I'm surrendering to you? I'm not surrendering to you. I'm surrendering to God. If you put what God is asking you to give up, in the context of who you're giving it to, then what you give up loses its importance. I'll say it another way. It becomes easier to give up things in life when you know the one who is asking you for it. Jesus said, I'm not just giving up my life. I'm giving it to God. I'm not just dying. I'm dying for God. It's who that gives me the strength to continuously... Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by this message. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. If you would like to share your testimony or if you have any prayer requests, please email us amen at journeyorl.com where we'll have a team of people ready to celebrate with you and pray with you. Also, if you would like to help support the ministry of Journey Church in a financial way, you can do so by visiting journeyorl.com and choosing the giving option or text journeyorl to 77977. 
We hope you'll join us again soon. Have a great week.